Father, thank you that um, thank you that we can sing, that we can uh, fellowship together, we can share, we can drink tea and eat biscuits and talk about you. Thank you that um, you are a great God who has brought us into relationship with you and with one another. And we we thank you for that relationship. Father, I ask now as we go on in this second session that you'll open our eyes to the truth of who you are, that we might be changed by that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, uh, praying for, uh, Jesus said in, Mar- in Luke 11, uh, when you pray, pray and say, uh, uh, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and uh, to pray for the glory of God. So if you're praying for the glory of God and you're praying, hallowed be thy name, what does that cut out? Yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yourself. That's a very broad statement, Kimber. It cuts out, uh, you know, various things. What does it include? Uh, be specific, you know, um, Kim said yourself, it cuts out yourself. Actually, we, we can come to him, and he does love you, Kim, so <laughs> you can come with yourself and ask for things. But, but okay, what does it cut out? What does it include? This is like a joining in session. Includes God. Hmm? Includes God. Includes God, yeah, it does. But I mean, think about when you're praying. If you're praying for his glory and you're praying for his name to be hallowed in your prayer and in your life, what would you? What would it cut out of your prayers? Be specific. Well, the world. Hey? The world? Yeah, the world. Mm. Your kingdom may come soon. Yes, yes, but I want you to be specific about what you would le- now not pray because you know that you've got to pray everything for the glory of God and for his name to be hallowed, respected, exalted. What will it cut out? It will make you look at your own uh, desires, let's say, and assess whether those desires are in accordance with the glory of God and would they, if he answered that prayer, would you end up hallowing his name, exalting his name? Now, honestly, ju- uh, just do that. Do that for two days or three days when you pray. Just start to write down what you're going to say before you say it and then put it in a column. Does this glorify God or does this glorify me or please me? Does this hallow God's name or does this help me? You know, only and see you know what you're saying to God does it really glorify him will it result in his glory oh we say these words all the time you know but what do they mean they mean that certain things we are praying we we should cut out and certain things we're not praying we should include so what would you include in your prayers if you were praying for God's name to be exalted in your life in this country in the church whatever what would you include? Come. Yeah, choose your own words. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, but that is true. But but how? What what would that look like in your in your life, in the life of the church? What would it look like for God's kingdom to come? In what does kingdom mean? Yeah, it's where God is, and it's also who's who's the main figure in a kingdom? The king. And if you're king of a kingdom, kingdom actually means reign. It means rule. It means area of ruling, area of reign. So when you're praying, your kingdom come, what you're trying to say is, Lord, I want you to rule and reign here first and then out there and then beyond out there. 
And, and so if you're praying for that, you can know that's going to glorify God, isn't it? Because that's what he's telling you to pray. So how, what will it look like if you pray for God's kingdom, his rule, his reign to come into your life? What will that look like in your life? He'll, he'll be pri- the priority in your life. And what will that look like? What will it look like? How will it manifest itself? How will it, what, what will you be doing? Will it be glorifying God? Because it, it'll, be, it'll be seen, won't it, in you? Yeah. You're putting in first. Yeah, so how will you, wh- wh- what I want to do is I want to take it from the sentence that we all understand and move it into my life. What will it look like when I give God priority in my life? What will that change? What will that make me think about? What will that make me do? Faith is a doing word. It's an action. Faith is an action. It's going to practically change your life. So how? How will it? Well, you're going to want to spend more time with him and more time in the word. There you go. There you go. I'm going to spend more time. And and time in the word for what purpose? To know about him. To know God. To know God. You don't spend time in the word to know the word. You spend time in the word to know God. So if you're just reading the word and you want to know the word and and that's what you want and you want to learn the word and everything else, you know, go away and talk to the Lord because he wants you to know the word because he wants you to know him. So so you're going to spend more time in the word. What else? What are you going to include? Hallowed be thy name. That will include you prioritizing him in your daily life. I, so that will mean you're reading the word more. What else? You'll be doing what he wants. And, so, and y- because you're spending more time in the word, you're going to know what he wants because it's there in the word. So now when you read something that says, do not gossip, do not slander, what's going to happen? Oh, I mean, seriously, seriously, it means you're not going to do that. So when the temptation comes, which it comes to all of us, you know, I mean, I just want to share something so we can pray for this person. You know, I mean, she's always doing this. And, and she doesn't really seem to care about it. And, and honestly, it's not really spiritual, is it? Why is she doing that, you know? So let's just get together and pray. But before we pray, let's pick it apart a little bit more and talk about it and see, what you know, why is she doing that? And, and she's been doing that for years. And, you know, I think we should tell her, don't you? That, that, when you get the temptation to do that, and I've made it extreme, so I hope you never get the temptation to do that. But when you get that temptation, what are you going to do with it? You're going to say, no temptation has seized me except which is common to man. And God is faithful. And when I am tempted, he will always provide the way of escape that I might endure it. So I will not gossip. Under any circumstance, for any reason, I will not gossip. I will not talk about other people at all. At all. Now, if you don't see these things in your life, then you need to be putting them into your prayer. Lord, you know, I I, I want to hallow your name. I want your name to be hallowed in my life. I want your name to be lifted up. I want you to be shown to be glorious in my life. And I know I'm doing this. What else? Yes, not just, yes, no criticism, no judgment, no. So, so it cuts out certain things, it includes certain things, and then there's another whole load of stuff in the middle, right? The gray areas. 
the grey areas, when we don't know really if they're gonna, if this is gonna glorify God or is it not? Should I be praying for this because I'm not quite sure and blah blah blah? Ha- what we're we gonna do with that? Yeah. How will we deal with the grey areas? Because do you think it's the grey areas that cause us the most problem? Yes. yes. So, what do you think you're going to do with the grey areas? You're going to colour them in. You're going to colour them black or you're going to colour them white. You're going to put them on one side or the other side. How are you going to make that decision? You're going to ask God. How's he going to answer you? Through the word. He's going to answer you through the word. You know, we start off, there's a load of stuff in the Christian life that's grey. It's just, just grey. And we've got a church full of people who are still in that grey area. And they need to colour They need to color it. It needs to be black or white. They need to be deciding. You know what? This is something I don't, I, I'm not quite sure about. Let me read the word until I am. Show me, Lord, what this, what this is. When I'm praying, I've been praying for this for a long time and nothing seems to be happening. Why is that? Lead me to a place in the word where I can find an answer about that. Okay. How will we change the colors through the word? And when you go to the word, what will you start to what will you start to find happening in your life? Or what will you start to know? Sorry, this was just recap from this morning. <laughs> so you obviously weren't listening. So I didn't say about the grey areas, I know, but that was just an extra. But um, what will start to happen when you start deciding, I'm not having these, I, I want to know black or white, I want to know how to pray. I want to come to the Lord and pray and, 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 and please him and exhort his name and all of those things. What will start to happen when you go to the word to find out you know, how to be? Yeah, before that, before that. That's the end. You can't get there. What's, what's going to... Yes, yes, but why? What will happen? What will start to happen? Yeah, he'll speak to you through the word and you'll start to understand his character more. Now, do you remember what Jesus said? If you pray in my name, according to my will. So the more you dissect what you say to God, the more you think about him when you pray, the more you really try to understand. And this is not, it's not like rules. It's not you've got to do this. It's that you say you love God. You love God, don't you? Don't you say that? You love God and you want to love him better. Well, he w- the more you know him, the more you love him. It's like anything else. If you say you love someone, you want to know more about them. And you'll follow after them until you know more. So if you're not following after him, it doesn't matter how many times you say you love him, he knows you don't. See? So it's, the, it's like, how do, you, how do you move from not being sure about what you pray to being sure about what you pray? How do you know that your faith is the sort of mustard seed faith that is going to move mountains when, God is, when you are doing what God wants you to do in your prayers, when you're coming to him the way he wants you to pray? And the way he wants you to pray is according to his character and according to his will. And the only way to know that is to know him. And then what do you find? You see, I, I just, don't you love the word of God? I mean, you just love it because it's a continuous line. It just never, there's no breaks. What does God say is eternal life? What did Jesus say is eternal life? Knowing God. Knowing the one true God in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. What's the way to pray? Hallowed be thy name. What is the way to pray? According to my name. 
according to my will. How will you know his will and his name when you know him? Knowing him is eternal life. So your quest to pray the way Jesus wants you to pray ends up being life to you. Life. The experience of the eternal life that Jesus said he came to give you. The abundant eternal life that he promises. Do you see what I mean? So the prayer thing, it's not that you're doing it wrong. I'm not trying to say you're not saying the right things or in the right way or you need to be on your knees or standing up or whatever. I'm trying to say the more you know God, the more life you experience and the more you are able to pray according to his will and according to his name. So uh, Luke, um, Paul will talk about that process in Colossians chapter 1. So uh, Colossians 1 verse 9 to 13 um, Colossians chapter 1 um, verse 9 for this reason also since the day we heard of it we have not ceased to pray um, sorry lost my spirit not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. Okay, what is this prayer? I mean, break it down point by point. How does Paul begin? He says, for this reason, since the day we heard of your faith and your love in the Spirit, we have not ceased to pray for you. And what's the first thing? To ask what? Just directly from the thing that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Right, that's the first thing. The first thing he prays is that they will be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And what, what will that lead to? What does he pray on from that? That you will walk, live in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then what follows that? Please, yeah, pleasing him in all respects. What does that lead to? Bearing fruit in every good work. And what does that lead to? Increasing in the knowledge of God. Don't you love that? I just love that. It's like a circle. What does Paul pray? That you would be filled with all the knowledge of God's will in, in, in wisdom and understanding. And what will happen? You'll walk in a manner worthy of God. And what will happen? You'll bear and you'll please him in all respects. And what will happen? You'll bear fruit. And what will happen when you bear fruit? You'll increase in the knowledge of God. It's all about knowing God. Everywhere you look in scripture, it is all about knowing God. Now, the reason I'm saying all of this is if it is all about knowing God, then mustard seed faith and mountain moving faith must come from knowing God. It must, because the whole Bible is about knowing God. Knowing God. What will happen? He says you'll increase in the knowledge of God. You'll be strengthened with all power. You will attain all steadfastness and patience and you will joyously give thanks to the Father. You will know his will and you will give thanks to the Father. 
when you when he, because he's praying that this process will happen to you and after he does that he goes on to a description of who Jesus is you know he 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 is before all things and in him all, th- all things hold together from verse 13 down to verse 20 he he, he gives probably the the best most exalted description of Christ in all of the new testament and um and and why do you think he does that directly after the prayer? Yes, because what's he what's he wanted them to to grow in? He, he's wanted them to grow in their knowledge of God, right? And so you think think about it. You're writing Colossians. You're writing to this church. Okay, this let's just say for a moment this is a church in Sarancester. Well, we are the church, aren't we? We're the church. So. And someone's going to walk in the door with a letter, right? And it's going to be from God through Paul. Imagine it's 2,000 years ago. You don't look like this, but you know. (laughs) So, and you're not sitting on these chairs. But (laughs) so anyway, walks in the door and he's got this letter, and you start to read it. Someone stands there, or you pass it around, and you read. Paul's praying for us, and he's praying that we would grow in our knowledge of God and His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then we're going to get to the. And he goes on and on. We walk the way that pleases Him. We bear fruit. We give thanks to the Father. And then we get grow in steadfastness and patience. And then we grow in it. It's all about growing in our knowledge of God. And then straight away the very next sentence he does what he tells you about the God that he wants you to grow in knowledge of he wants you to know this God this God who rescued you from the domain of darkness and moved you transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son he wants you to know that you have redemption and forgiveness of sins he wants you to know that this Jesus is the image of the invisible God do you see what I mean this is what he wants you to know because knowing this will change not just the way you pray but the way you live and when your life is lived in a certain way and you start to bear fruit that will bring you a joy unimaginable you cannot imagine the joy when you know that you know that you know that your life it pleases God brings forth fruit for him that it's increasing your knowledge of him and as that all goes on it will be never ending joy not never-ending pain-free lack of suffering but never-ending joy to your soul and when your soul is in that place even for five minutes what will happen what will be happening you will be exalting the name of God. You will be changed. You will be exalting, lifting up, glorifying God because your life is being transformed by the very word of God as the Holy Spirit takes it and bears fruit in your life. Now think about it. You're going to know this is going on. You're going to know this is going on. So you start to bear fruit for God, knowing you've pleased him. You're bearing fruit for God. You're going to give thanks to him. And what are you going to ask in your prayer? You're you're going to pray the next day. You've had that whole cycle go on and it's still going on. You go to bed and you know you've, I've walked worthy of this. I've walked worthy of my God and I've pleased him and I've borne fruit for him and it's been so amazing and I'm so full of joy. And you wake up in the morning. What will be your first prayer? Let me know you more. Let me know you more. I mean, don't you want to cry at it? It's so simple. 
is so simple because we are pea-brained sheep. Honestly. And he has to write it simply for us because we won't understand otherwise. It is so simple and it is all on the same thread. It is the same thread. Do you want to pray prayers in my name? Then know me. Do you want to know joy? Know me. Do you want to have peace? Know me. Do you want to pray mountain-moving prayers? Know me. Do you want to have a faith, a mustard seed faith that will grow and, and fill the earth? He talks about a mustard plant that fills the earth. Do you want that sort of faith? Know me. Know me. Come to me in my word. Ask me for the things that you know will grow your knowledge of me. What will grow your knowledge of God? That's what we would be asking for. Because that's what you would want. You would want that. Because that has brought you such joy. And you've thanked God for it. So now it's a no-brainer to know that that's what you're going to be asking him for. You're going to ask him for more and more and more of that knowledge. And when you start asking him for that knowledge, what will happen? You will get it. Why? Because God answers prayer for the glory of his name and because he loves you. This prayer is absolutely definite. This is a definite, instant answer. If you put your head in the word of God and pray that you will know God through it, you will know God through it. You want wisdom? There it is. You want understanding? There it is. You want to be able to get through your life day by day, hard as it is, there it is. And when you start praying that back to God, okay, Paul says that I can walk in a manner worthy of you and I can please you in all respects. Show me how to do that. Show me what, what I need. Give me the truth. Help me to understand it. Then that is what will happen in your life. And what will be the result in you? joy and peace. What else now? Because Paul goes on in Colossians and he says, this is this God. This is who he is. He's going to go on in verse um, 26, 24 actually, to say, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And he's connecting these things. He's connecting. He's connecting. This is the prayer that I'm praying for you, that you grow in the knowledge of God. This is your God and this is what he's done. And let me tell you, as you grow in your knowledge of God and as you see what he's done and who he is, and as you start to pray and this starts to happen in you, it will include suffering. It will definitely include suffering. It's not just Colossians. If you go to Philippians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul will talk about the sort of suffering that he has gone through. He will tell us in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 and 10, that he prayed three times for God to remove a thorn from his side, some particular type of suffering. And God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. So you know, you know the way he connects this, that our growing in our knowledge of God will include suffering of some description. Not necessarily all the same, but it will include suffering. What will you understand about the thing that causes suffering to you? Or what will you understand about the suffering? That God will work in it and that actually whatever it is that is causing your suffering, 
could possibly be a gift from God to you. It could possibly be. I'm not saying it is definitely. I'm not saying all suffering is definitely God's gift to you. But what I am saying is that if you want to grow in your knowledge of God, he will include suffering in that growth. And if you can see that suffering as his gift to you to enable you to grow in your knowledge of him, then you will continue to grow and you will gain joy and peace even from the suffering. Paul says he grew. He grew. He could write in 2 Corinthians that God was the father of all comfort. How did he know that? Because he'd experienced it. Because he'd been in places where he needed comforting. How could he... He says he's been beaten, he's been shipwrecked, he's been this and that, and he lists a whole load of situations that has been caused directly by his trust of God and his willingness to go out with the gospel. This is direct suffering for the sake of the gospel. And he can look at that and say that my God says my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not talking about the suffering that's ordinary, everyday human suffering. I'm talking about doing God's will, being called by God and asked to do a certain thing and doing it and suffering for it. And he can look even at that suffering and say, My, your, um, God says his grace is sufficient and know that his grace is sufficient. Therefore, he says, I'd rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ might be seen in me. I, I yeah. In terms of um, my situation, I, in my journal, a month before I was diagnosed with my tumour, I said to God, I need to know you more. I, I'm fed up for this kind of easy, not easy, life, but you know. And I was just desperate to know you more. And then that happened, and it's, I don't know, three or four years on. And my faith has been growing more than ever would have without this. And I hope that I've been able to glorify God in and through it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I've experienced the Holy Spirit giving me, so I don't almost go and pray for healing, I pray for to know the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit gives me peace and takes away fear, and all those kind of things, and I just, I know that to be true so much, Mm. and it's amazing. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. So... In terms of our prayers then, because remember we're going to pull right back now and you're wondering how I've got where I've got, but anyway, uh, in terms of prayers to move mountains, what difference does knowing all of the above make? Yes, assurance, yes. Takes away doubt, yeah. Praying to the right God. Yes, you're praying to the right God, yeah. What do you think you'll find as you grow in your knowledge of God? I mean, whatever it is that has caused you to say, as Laura has said, you know, I want more of you, and then you've been led into this thing, which includes, you know, a terrible thing happening, but that has drawn you closer to God. What do you start to understand about this God? Yes, faithfulness, yeah. Merciful, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Who is God? 
He's the creator of all things. Okay, what else? I want to get to, I want to get to the idea which Laura has actually said is she knows God better because of what's going on in her life. So, if, and she's saying that that's true, I know that that's true. That's what the scripture says. It's what the scripture says. So, what are we to understand? Who is God, first of all? Just throw some names out. If you're... He's our Father. He's the Creator. He's omnipotent, omniscient, unchanging God, sovereign God. All things have to bow to Him. Nothing that has being ever had being without Him. So I want to ask, do you think then, when you're praying to this God and in your circumstances, is there anything impossible for that God? No. No. So does that God need you to tell Him what you need? No. Does that God always work in, cons- in, in accordance with his character yes. and his purpose? Yes. So what can you expect when you come to him to know him better, to serve him better, to love him more? What can you expect will happen? Sorry, I, I, I don't know why you're being so dense. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I can't seem to get where I'm going. I'm sorry. No. Oh, thank you, Sue. Thank you. No. So what... what he, Nothing is impossible for him. He knows already what we need. He always works consistent with his character and his purpose. So what can you know for sure when you come to this God and you you just lay before him, like Laura will lay before him her situation and say, what can she expect this God to do? Answer. Answer. In what way? Answer. Answer. Knowledge of him. Knowledge of him. But... but why will he answer that? So she, you're coming. You're saying to God, look, this is what I've got. And I don't want this. I don't want this. And you say you're the omnipotent, unchanging, faithful God. So I'm coming to you and I'm saying, I want what you want here. I want you to get rid of this thing. I want it gone from my life. What can she fully expect God to How will God answer her? I'm using you, Laura, because you've just opened it up, but what can you expect God to answer? Give her the Holy Spirit. Give her the Holy Spirit, yes, but... Uh, yeah, yes, but... He will give her what she needs. What she needs. Needs for what? Everything. What's everything in this situation? That's right, Claire, but what's everything? He will give her what she needs. Almost he will bypass the words. God you know, her words, he's going to take her words and and look at her life and he's going to say, this is what you need. This is the very best. Who's talking to me? It's Juliet upstairs. Oh, hi, Juliet. It's just come to my mind that that God says that he knows the plans he has for us. Um, And that's just gone out of my head. (laughs) But uh, he he knows the plans. It's Jeremiah 31. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to... Yes, thank you, Juliet. Yes, thank you. Um. Oh, Juliet, now I've forgotten where I was. No, 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 I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. So, yes, he will give you what you need. What you need for what? Yes, yes, but he loves you. So remember, to know him better, to love him. What? What do you need? What is he about? What's he doing in your life? What is he doing? He's making you more like Jesus. He's transforming you into the image of Jesus and... 
He is. He's causing all things to work together for your good and for your good for what? For your good for eternity. For eternity. Yes, for now. Yes, for now. Because Laura is benefiting. She's already testified to that. But you have an eternity. It's not just whatever number of years. You have eternity. Eternity is timeless. It's endless. We can't even describe it. Eternity is eternity. And what he is about is not transforming you so that you manage to walk around and look a bit like Jesus for the next however many years. He's transforming you, making you into the person you will be forever. He is making you the person who will be ready and, and prepared and who will run through the gates of heaven, if there are gates, you know what I mean, who will run through and say, right, I'm here, I'm here. That's who he's transforming you into. That's what he's at work about. This time is done. Honestly, I, 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 it's so hard for us to understand it because we're so physical in our thinking and so material. But God is a supernatural God and his kingdom is a spiritual kingdom at the moment. But there's a day when you go to be with him or, or whenever he ordains that this day will be, you will receive a new body and it will perfectly match the soul that you now are. And it will be amazing beyond your wildest dreams and he will lay before you the inheritance that was set for you before he started the world and it will be beyond anything you can think. But that's what I want to get to is when you pray, is that the God you're praying to? And are you praying for that result? That result. That's where we've got to be praying. We have to get our eyes out of the mud and into the glory. We have to do it. We have to lift our, our eyes up to the Lord and say, I have no clue what this life is, is going to do and what it's going to bring. I don't even know how to pray. But I know that you know what you're doing. And I know that you are the all-powerful God. And that if you could change my circumstance it, and wanted to, if that was good for me, it would already be changed. It would already be done. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Uh, he does exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything that we can ask or think. Exceedingly, abundantly, beyond. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations and forever. God has given you his spirit and his word and he is, his message is clear. Keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me. Go ahead, Sue. There's another scripture, isn't there? Yes. And to him who is the author yeah. of, of our faith. Yeah. Yes. Right hand of the Father, yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your focus on Jesus. 
Do not be afraid. I can't tell you how many times that, that is written in Scripture. Do not be afraid. Now to come back then to this mountain-moving faith of these disciples who are standing there who can't cast out that demon. God's message is clear. Keep your eyes on me. You want to cast out demons? I will do that as you keep your eyes on me. I will move mountains as you keep your eyes on me. You will start to see mountains move in your life as you keep your eyes on me. But the thing is, you have to know who I am to be able to stand and declare out loud and in public, mountain move. Do you see what I mean? You have to know your God so well that you know that even if you don't see the result of that immediately in your human eyes, he has done it. He has done it. And I honestly think it is an awesome moment. It will be an awesome, life-changing moment when we realize that God's power is poured out through those people who have made it their business to know him and to grow in him. Jesus uses this mountain moving faith in um, Matthew 17 and in Mark chapter 11. When Jesus uses that in those two passages, in what context is he using it? In Matthew 17, we read that at the beginning. What, what would you, what is he, um, what couldn't they do? They couldn't cast out a demon. And in Mark chapter 11, um, when he's talking about the fig tree and the temple, what's, who's he talking to? Is that Mark 11? Who's he talking to there? He's talking to Pharisees and scribes. Yeah. And, and uh, what's he accusing the Pharisees and the scribes of, of doing? Hypocrisy. Which was meaning what? what? They were leading people astray. They were feeding them with lies and fake stuff, which was meaning that they would not lay hold of the kingdom of God. They would not. He, he kept saying, repent, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, repent, the kingdom of God is near. And on and on and on and on. Now, what sort of a kingdom of God was he talking about? Yes. But in what way, Anne? In what way? Because we've got to be really clear in this mountain-moving faith and the where he uses it, what sort of a thing is he trying to explain to us? What's the kingdom of God now? How do you see the kingdom of God now? Yeah, I know, but yes, yeah, sorry, it's me. It's me. Let me f spiritually. Who said that? Thank you. Spiritually, it's a spiritual kingdom, isn't it? We can't see it with our human eyes, and we struggle so much 
because we can't see it. Because we are a physical people and we want physical results. But Jesus talking about say to that mountain, be moved, is using and cursing the fig tree and the demon coming out of the boy. He's using physical examples then to tell us about a spiritual reality. When he was moving around casting out demons and talking to the Pharisees and the scribes, why was he doing that? What, what did he say about that? What was he trying to do? Yeah, but think about who is he? Who is he? He's revealing who he is. What, what does he want? I mean, he says, I came to the lost sheep of Israel first. So I came to the sheep of Israel. What does he want them to do? Recognize them as the Messiah. What would have happened if he did? If they did? I, I mean, don't go on for 2,000 years, but what, what would have happened then if they had? His kingdom would have come physically on the planet then. Now, we know God, God knew they wouldn't, and so it's all, but that's all God's plan, right? So all we know is he came to reveal the Father to them. He was the Messiah the Saviour, and he came to set them free, but they would not have it. So instead of a physical kingdom, so all of his things that he was doing, what were they to show? That he's the physical, he is the king, he is the Messiah, and he was doing signs in their presence to prove that. I'm the coming king. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the Messiah. John the Baptist was Elijah. If you will have it, he was Elijah. He was saying to them, I'm the king and I'm here. I'm here. The king is here. That kingdom could have come then had they received him. But they didn't. So all of those signs that he was doing in a physical way to start a physical kingdom, what are we now experiencing? He was showing us, we're to learn from that, the spiritual reality of the physical stuff that he was showing. Are you with me? You don't have to agree yet, but you, you, can, you can be sort of with me. What I'm trying to say is, Jesus is not on the planet. He's not ruling physically from Jerusalem. Israel are not restored to their rightful place. It's not a physical kingdom on earth, which is what it could have been had they received their Messiah, had they accepted him. Instead, what has happened? There's a spiritual dimension to his kingdom that's already in place. So nine times out of ten, 99 times out of 100, when we read those gospel accounts of what they were doing, we have to see that in light of the spiritual dimension, the things you couldn't see with your human eyes. Yeah. Is that where, I, I won't say we, I'll say I've been going wrong. Mm -hmm. In, you know, our expectation of changes physically, by reading that word, that's what we can take, isn't it? Well, why can't I go and move that mountain? Exactly. Exactly. So Exactly. Exactly. Listen, don't get me wrong. God can do anything at any time. Yeah, I and that. he if he wants to lift us all up bodily now and throw us out into the road, he can. There's <laughs> nothing that God can't do. 
But we exist in a spiritual kingdom at the moment. We know that it will be physical. We trust the physicality of it. We know that's coming. We know that when Jesus comes, we'll receive a new body and we'll live in a physical, we'll live here on earth for a thousand years and then we'll live in a new heaven and a new earth. We understand all of that. But the reality is we live in a spiritual kingdom now. And for the most part, the work of God will be done spiritually. Because... Listen, when Jesus healed the paralytic man, you know, they bring him down through the ceiling. I can't remember where that is exactly, but they bring him down through the ceiling. What does Jesus say to him? Yeah, your sins are forgiven first. And then what does he say? But so that you know, I'm going to raise him up. What is Jesus trying to prove to them? What's, just what's he trying to tell them Im- Immediately. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one. You, Isaiah wrote about me. And, and he'll heal and he'll do this and he'll do the other thing. I'm that one. And to prove it, I'll raise him up. Do you see what I mean? So we are to, we, we are to understand that mostly what we are going to be seeing is spiritual changes in us. Let's face it. How much has your body changed since you knew Jesus? For the better, for the better, let's say. You know, I mean, I don't know how long you've known him, but you know, I've known him 20 odd years and I can tell you it's been all downhill physically since then. Well, you know what I mean, yeah. So spiritually, what's happening to you spiritually right now? You are being renewed and transformed into the image of Jesus. You are becoming more glorious than you were when you walked in the door. You are being transformed from glory to glory. And it is going on right now because you are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And you are being transformed into that glory. That is happening. Tell me, when you get up and look in the mirror in the loo, will you see that? No. You don't. Why? Because it's a spiritual reality and you're looking at a physical body. Now, that's true of the whole of this life. It's, it's true of the whole of this life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, we fixed our eyes on what is unseen. What is unseen. Why does he say that? Why does he say that if Paul, of all people... <laughs> could do everything physical, all the miracles of Jesus, if he could have done all of them straight away, why would he say, look at what's unseen? Why wouldn't he just say, right, I'm going to fix Mike and I'm going to fix Anne and Jackie and Chris and I'm just going to fix everybody. They're all going to be gloriously beautiful and young and tall and handsome and whatever. Why didn't he say that? Why did he say we fix our eyes on what is unseen? Because that is the reality. And this physical is the shadow. For you and for I, for me, we now belong to a kingdom that will never end. We have eternity. And this physical, he'll say in 1 Corinthians 15, this mortal will put on immortal. This perishable will put on imperishable. What do you think God is most concerned about with you? Do you think he's concerned about a body that is decaying and corrupt? Well, yes, he is, of course, because he loves you. But what's he most concerned about? He's concerned about your soul that you can't see and your spirit. He's concerned about 
this girl, this woman, I mean, there's a lot of changing needs to go on in her. There's a lot of transforming that needs to go on. I better do everything I can to get her into my word, to get her to understand my word and to be able to receive the Holy Spirit's power to be changed on the inside because it's the inside that will last for eternity, not the outside. My is within you. Mm. Yeah. It's not that. I'm not saying that God is not concerned about your physical body. He's concerned about every <coughs> part of you. I'm not saying that he's not concerned about this world and, this, and what goes on in this world. He is. He died for this world. He died for every single person who has ever been born or ever will be born. He is concerned about what happens on this planet. But if you come to him and you give him your life, he is going to be concerned from that moment on with your eternity because your eternity is eternal. Yes, yes, he wants you to physically enjoy the benefits of his uh, Holy Spirit. But it may not always look the way you think it's going to look. And do you think that's why the world finds it so difficult to engage with Christianity because generally speaking, particularly in the West, it's so obsessed with physical yeah. material yeah. stuff. Yeah, absolutely. 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 How does the world judge you? By what you have. What you have. How does God look at you? Who you are. Who you are. And who you are is not what you have. Who you are is not how you look. Who you are is not really anything to do even with your body because your body is not who you are. Your soul is who you are. We are body, soul and spirit. And your soul is the thing that is being changed. And that is being changed into the image of Christ. And God will use anything and everything to work that transformation in you. Amen. So, um, if you want to be able to move mountains, or when Jesus uses that phrase, moving mountain type of faith, what's he trying to do to them? What's he trying to do? He says, if you've got a mustard seed faith, you'll be able to say to that mountain, move, and it will move. In what dimension is he talking about? Spiritual. He's talking about a spiritual dimension. It's not that he can't move a mountain. Of course he can, a physical mountain. But he's talking about spiritual mountains that you will be able to, or that God will move through you, through your prayers. But what, and so think about it, whether other people ever see that mountain move is not important. So think about it. You're praying for... Um, I don't know. <sighs> okay, let's come back. What do you believe? When, you, when God says to you, when Jesus says to you, if you have faith, faith the size of a mustard seed, you will be able to say to that mountain, move and it will move. What do you think about that statement? I mean, you should be able to see it. Change of focus. Change of focus, yeah. So you'll be able to say to that mountain, move and it will move. Okay. 
Do you believe that? Yes. Oh my gosh, you're in trouble if you don't believe it because God said it, Jesus said it. Jesus said you will be able to say to that mountain, move and it will move. Right, okay. So, so if he's talking in a spiritual dimension, well, if you think he's t- talking into a f- in a physical dimension, you're going to be in a lot of trouble because you're going to say to that mountain, move and that mountain is going to stay there. Why would that be? How can I know that? Exactly, because God is going to determine when he, when he destroys this earth and God is going to determine when the mountains will split and that won't be until Jesus comes back. So we're talking a spiritual dimension. Now if the other people see the reality of that spiritual dimension, does it matter? No. Will it stop you praying? I suppose that's what I'm getting to. Will it stop you praying that prayer simply because other people don't see the reality of the spiritual dimension? Okay, so now when you pray that prayer, what are you praying on the basis of? You're praying on the basis of complete confidence in God that he will do what he says he will do whether or not human eyes ever see it. You see it with your human eyes, with your human eyes. When you pray to God, what must be going on in you as you pray? What will you believe? That he answers prayer and that he will do what you ask. Now, we've already gone through the list. You're going to change the grey into black or white. You're going to only play for those things that, that glorify the Father. So if you pray for only those things that glorify the Father, and you pray and, and, and you're absolutely sure that he, he, he will do what he says he will do, what will you be? how will that translate into your life, your prayer life. What does he tell them to do? Say to that mountain, be moved, and it will be moved. We're talking about spiritual things. So we're not quite there yet, but during lunch, I want you to think about your spiritual mountains. I want you to think about the mountains that are in your life the spiritual mountains, not the physical ones. The physical ones might be obscuring a spiritual one or blocking a spiritual one, but I want you to think about the spiritual mountains in your life. Um, Fear is a mountain in lots of lives. Fear, anxiety, bitterness, unforgiveness, rejection, the list could go on and on and on. Uh, the feeling that God hasn't done what he was supposed <coughs> to do. That he's left you out. That, that you're somehow insignificant. Or even self-loathing. You hate yourself because of whatever in your past or whatever you're still doing now. What are the mountains in your life that are stopping you knowing more about your God? What does Jesus, when he says about these mountains, what does he say 
He says that they must say to this mountain. What do you think he means by that? I think always we have to speak. I'm not sure that it's positive in that way, Maureen, but we do have to speak. We have to speak out. What will stop you speaking against a mountain in your life, especially in the presence of other people? Lack of faith that he's going to change it. And Oh, possibly, yeah. That's why I said right at the beginning, got to be asking God, what are the mountains in my life? That's stopping me. Yeah, right at the beginning. But mm, there, there it is. There it is. If you speak out, but you see, Jesus is saying, speak to that mountain. Speak to that mountain. Now, with all that we've looked at about prayer and about the character of God and about the will of God and all of that, why would we ever think it wouldn't happen? The problem would be if you're speaking out and you're speaking out perhaps to unbelievers. Oh, no, no, we're talking about, uh, okay, okay, so you're talking about a spiritual dimension. But if you're trying to move a mountain in an unbeliever, the only way that mountain could ever be moved is if they come to the Lord. So so, so this this moving mountain faith is for believers. It's for believers. So yes, we're going to... Jesus took it in a physical way to the demon-possessed boy, right? But we're going to take that in a spiritual way. Now, think about it. You cannot be possessed by a demon if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be attacked. You can be vulnerable to them. You can give them a little bit of a hook in your arm or in your leg or wherever you do, but you cannot be possessed. Why not? Because you have the Holy Spirit. And everywhere God went, everywhere Jesus went, demons fleed. They can't stay in his presence. So if for no other reason, if if the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your home, there's no room for a demon in your heart, in your soul. So given that now, the, the the only mountains that would be in your life are what? The ones you allow to stay or... I mean, the spiritual ones will be the ones that you allow to stay and other ones that you're getting, you know, maybe physical things in your life. Why would they be there? Because you're in a physical body. Yes, but uh, we said it right at the beginning that maybe, not right at the beginning, but I did say that maybe the mountain, the physical mountain that you're facing in your life, your circumstance, your health, whatever, might be the gift that God has given you. And he's given you that gift for a reason. What would the reason be? that you might know him better so that the internal spiritual mountain would be <coughs> removed. So if you've got a physical thing going on, let's take Laura. She said, uh, sorry, Laura, but, you know, she took her brain tumour. And uh, that's a huge mountain. And so she's coming to the Lord. And, of course, we're all praying, please remove that, that tumour. But what she's recognising is that God has been at work because of that tumour. And what he's removed largely in Laura is the mountain of fear. Now, and probably others as well, but, you know, that mountain of fear. So a physical thing has actually been used by God to remove a spiritual thing and to bring her closer to God. So when I say identify the mountains, initially, of course, you're going to look at the physical things. 
What's the mountain in my life? A physical mountain in my life is that my husband is not a believer. I mean, it's not a terrible mountain because I love him and he loves me, but it is a mountain. And I could spend my whole time concentrating on that mountain without seeing that there's something else in me that God has done through that and has removed through that. And that is that need to be like social. Do you know what I mean? Like go everywhere. Like churches are full of couples, aren't they? They're just full of couples. And they all look so good, don't they? They all smile. And they just look wonderful. And, and the whole, exactly, exactly. And the whole church is built on couples in our Western world. And oh my goodness, when I was first a believer, I wanted my husband to come to the church with me. You know, because I mean, it would have been so easy. We would have been so great. We could have had dinner parties. We could have done this. We could have done that. I could have been this perfect social person in the church. But what did God know? He didn't want me to do that. Why? <coughs> he wanted me to know him. He wanted me to know him. So he kept the mountain of my unbelieving husband so that I was forced, without my knowing, into a life that wasn't full of the show and the society and the, and the wonderful fellowship and the let's get together and, you know, have a glass of wine and do this. It was pushed into this I thank God for my unbelieving husband because of that. I don't mean all the time. I'm still praying for him to come to the Lord. But I thank God that I couldn't have that life because, oh, my goodness, I wanted it. I wanted it because that would have just been an extension of my ordinary human life. Do you see what I mean? So find your mountain. Look at your physical mountain and ask yourself, is God leaving that there so that something else in you, in your <coughs> spirit, in your soul, is going to be changed? And if he is, whatever that mountain is, it's his gift. It's his gift. He has taught you both patience. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Patience, yeah. Um, Jesus, no, sorry, Mike. Scripture, but, uh, you have need of patience. patience. Yeah. And yeah. And also the faith, the faith of believing what is. Yeah. What did you say? The faith of the believing yeah. wife? Oh, the, the faith of the believing yeah. wife. Yeah, spouse. Yeah, I think it. Uh, the word cover doesn't always mean doesn't mean cover necessarily. It it does mean that it sanctifies, it sets them apart. So my husband is set apart by my faith. And I always think about that that he's been in a place where he's heard about God for twenty odd years. So God really has put him in a place where he can hear about God. And actually I always tell my husband, so that actually makes it worse for you if you don't believe. Because <laughs> Because God will say to you, but what did you do with those years? You know. But yes, um, I am kind to my husband sometimes. <laughs> I'm not. Jill knows. Jill's been my friend for years and years and years. She knows my husband. Um, okay, so Jesus said, say to the mountain. So it's important to speak 
out what we believe. It's important to speak it out. What hap- uh, if you read Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, even Old Testament, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written to it. If you didn't know this scripture, you would think that God would want the book of the law, his word, to stay in his, his heart, wouldn't you? You'd think that God would say, make sure that you remember the word of God and you read it and you meditate on it and you think about it. But he's saying, make sure it doesn't depart from your mouth, i.e. speak it out. Why? Because there's power in the spoken word of God. What did the spoken word of God do for you? It's... The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The spoken good news of God is the power of God unto salvation. You somehow, some way, heard the gospel. Romans uh, chapter 9, is it, or 10? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God or word of Christ. So you had to hear, hear. So when you hear yourself recount the promises of God, what will happen? Faith comes by hearing. Rome, uh, Joshua 1 verse 8? No? Oh, Romans 1 16, thank you. Um, why do you read the word of God? Try to stay awake, you've only got 10 minutes. Uh, to get to know him better, right. You read the word of God to get to know him better. What happens as you do that? You draw closer, but you find you remember the Word of God, don't you? You remember it in your head. Why do you think God wants you to remember the Word of God? So you can speak it out. out. Why would you want to speak it out? (laughs) That's good. It's good, Kim, but it's not the answer. So why do you want to speak the Word of God? Because it is the sword of of the Spirit. Take up the sword of the Spirit. It is, which is the Word of God, because it is your sword. It is your uh, weapon to fight the enemy. What's the uh, spiritual mountain in your life? Don't you want rid of it? So what what weapon has God given you? The sword of the Spirit. What's the sword of the Spirit? The Word of God. How are you going to get rid of your spiritual mountain? You are going to say to that mountain, say to that mountain, speak to that mountain. What's the mountain in your life? Find out what the mountain is in your life and speak to that mountain. Don't chat to it in your own words (laughs) because you won't do anything. Speak God's Word to that mountain. What does it say in 2 Corinthians? For we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing held up. Um, what is it called? No, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, sorry. Somebody should have come in there. Jane, I was waiting for you to jump in there. <laughs> but you didn't. You need your lunch probably. Hold on. Um, mm-mm-mm. No, is it 5.10 or 10.5? I always get that mixed up. Mm. 
10.5, thank you, 10.5. Oh yes, for though we, well, verse three, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. What are our weapons? Sword of the Spirit is the only one we've got, and that is the word of God. And so the mountain, the spiritual mountain in your life that is blocking your <coughs> view of God, that is getting in the way of you knowing God, you need to speak the word of God to it and you, but it's no good just coming to it and saying well God says that um, if I say this you're going to disappear <laughs> right because you, you need to say whatever it is my God has told me so I don't know what it is maybe you've got a, a, a sin that is just keeping on and keeping on you can't be rid of it what are you going to say to that? That's a mountain in your life. It's a mountain. It's stopping you getting closer to God. It's spoiling your joy. It's keeping you from him. What are you going to say to that sin? Be gone. There's that verse, no temptation. No temptation has seized me except what is common to man. And God is faithful. And when I am tempted, he has promised to provide a way of escape that I might endure it. Therefore, I will not fail. And, and when you do, sometimes... And the mountain appears. What will you say? My God says, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to purify, to forgive my sins and purify me from all unrighteousness. These are, uh, these are things we have to speak out. We have to speak out. Why was Moses denied entrance into the promised land? Yeah, but actually, what does it say? What was he supposed to do? He was supposed to, to speak to the rock. Why do, you think, why do you think God said speak to the rock? Because he wants everybody from Genesis to Revelation to understand his word is powerful for the destruction of strongholds and for the moving of your mountain. His word is powerful. Say to this mountain, move and it will be gone. Think about David when he spoke to Goliath. Goliath. What did he say to Goliath, David? Can you remember? The God whom you mocked will deliver you into my hand. How could he say that? Because he knew God. He knew God. What does Elisha say when he speaks to the widow? When he goes and he wants to stay there and she says, oh, you can't stay here because I'm just about dying with my son. We're, bo we're both dying. What does he say? He says to her, go and collect all the empty vessels. He, he doesn't need to say anything. He can just do it. But if he says it before it happens, what happens? She does it. She does what she's told. But you see, he's announcing the work of God before the work of God. Yeah. Why would you do that? Because you are convinced that God is faithful to his word. Because you are convinced that he is faithful to his word. Remember the Roman centurion? Yeah. He says, sends his messenger, tell, you don't have to come. I just know that if you say the word... He'll be healed. And what does Jesus say to that? Never have I seen such faith in Israel. Speaking out the word of God has power. Mountain moving power.
because it comes from a faith in God himself. It comes from God, a trust in God that he will always do what he promises he will do and that if you ask anything according to his word, he will do it. So I'm going to ask you just to end. What's the mountain standing in the way of your spiritual victory? Is it fear of failure? Are you afraid of failing? Are you afraid, for example, that all God's words are good for everybody else, but they're not good for me? And if I speak them out, I'm not sure it'll happen. Is it a negative experience in your past that you can't seem to get out of your mind? Whatever it was, was it a sin in your past? Was it uh, something that went wrong in your past? Was it something someone did to you, you did to someone else? Was it an an experience in your past that is holding you in chains? As I said, have you got a recurring sin that is tying you up? Have you got a physical sickness or an emotional sickness that is so consuming your thinking that it's turning you away from God. Emotional or sickness or spiritual sickness. So how are you going to begin then? Answering those questions, how will you begin to attack that mountain? Yeah, ask him to reveal what your mountain is and then what will you do? Okay, so maybe you're... Hmm? Okay, so let's say you, um, you, know, you don't have a lot of discipline, you don't like routine, you know, you're not sure you're going to be able to do anything, you know, mate, you're not going to be able to finish something that you've started, you're not going to be able to discipline yourself to carry on in it. What scripture might you speak to yourself or out to the mountain? You always quote this one, Wendy. You do, always. It's one of your favourites, and I love it. So what is it? That you might compromise something because you're just, you know, you can't just, you know or you don't quite understand something and you, you don't go to the Lord about it. And you say in Second Timothy 1, verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I am going to do this. And I know I'm able to do it because God has not given me a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. What about bitterness? You've got bitterness in your life, and maybe several things that you're bitter about, and it's like a huge mountain. What are you going to do with that mountain of bitterness? Okay, well, the mountain's roots go deep as, high, deep as the height. So, okay, let's say the root of this, or the... Ma- we're, yeah, go ahead. Google it and ask for... <laughs> <laughs> what I've done about a particular issue, um, ask for verses... Verses, uh, yeah. Bible, yes, yes. And then I can just look at one of those verses... Yes. ...and keep repeating it, actually. Right. What will the verses be about bitterness? Forgiveness. It will be forgiveness. It will be forgiveness. If you say to God, I've got a mountain of bitterness and this is what's happened to me in my past and this is, you know, this is this, he will always point you to verses about forgiveness. Mm. 
because you need to drown your mountain of bitterness in a sea of forgiveness. <coughs> it's like there's no other choice. Now, the only way you, reason you'll do that is because you believe God. And you believe that bitterness is holding you from God. And you want rid of it. And he says, you've got to forgive, so I've got no choice. I'm going to forgive. No. No. Yeah. Yeah. All of those. All of those things. Can I, can I just share something? Please, else? Jane. Yeah. Please so do. Just going back to sort of the physical and the spiritual, mm. you know, as we, which we were talking about a little while ago, and being changed. Mm. You know, it's that being changed from one degree of glory. Mm. You know, we have the Holy Spirit in us, and we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, which is glorious. We just we can't see it yes. at the moment. Yes. Physically. Yes. When we get to heaven. We will see know, it because we will be clothed in this wonderful, glorious new body, which we're all looking forward to, I'm sure. Yeah. But also that, that you know, from I'm just going to speak my own testimony in this, that, you know, sometimes we think and we can be told, oh, you've, you've got this problem. Right. So I'm blind. Mm -hmm. Therefore... Obviously, God wants to heal you with that. Right. Obviously, of course he does. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you spend your life running around. Yeah. Possibly, I, I didn't necessarily, mm. but some people do, running around looking for this healing, Yeah. this physical healing. I went to Harn Hill, and we were had a sermon, and we were given a verse, which was when the woman with the issue of blood thought, if I just touch the hem of his garment, and those words were very clear to me, and I thought, Lord, I'm going to touch the hem of your garment tonight, and you're going to heal me. So I went forward, thinking that he was going to heal my physical mm. sight loss, mm. um, and he most certainly did heal me, but it wasn't in the physical. No. Because he knew what healing I really needed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we yeah. think, because we can see the physical, that person needs to be healed of A, B, or C. They're blind, they're deaf, they can't walk, they mm. can't move, whatever mm. it might be. And maybe God will do that. Mm. Maybe he mm. will. Maybe that is the thing that's stopping us from knowing him. Yes.
that I can't see. In fact, I can see less today than I could then. Mm. But mm. it doesn't matter. Mm. Because God is God. Yeah. And he is doing his work. And what he has said he will do, he will do. Yeah. It doesn't matter that I can't see now. Mm. Because I will see then. Yes. yes. And I'd much rather see the face of my Lord then. Mm. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Because God is God. And he is sovereign. And we are being changed one degree of glory to another. It will happen. What he has said he will do, he will do. Thank you, Jane. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, well, I can't say anything after that, can I? But I'm going to anyway, because I just have to. I've got to finish my notes, Jane. That was a wonderful way to end, but um, it's, only your, it's not your words that you speak to the mountain. It's only God's words. Um, when you speak them out in that sort of way, and in, it's in a prayer. I'm not saying that you're going to speak and, and God's going to do just because you've said the words. <coughs> I'm not saying that. We've had the whole morning backing up that you're coming to him in accordance with his character and his name. We're not talking about naming and claiming it. We're talking about standing on the word of God for the spiritual growth in our lives. That's what we're standing on. You've yeah. promised. And so when things come against us in whatever way, shape or form, we are going to stand on the promises of God that that say, God is only working good for me. He is only working because he is a good father yeah. and he only gives good gifts. Yeah. Um, and when you speak to the the thing that you're saying to, you're not telling God about what you, you know, you, he, do, he did know the mountain was there. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You're not informing him of a situation he didn't know about. You're just speaking out to that mountain for your sake. For your sake. Because there's something in the spoken word that helps us, strengthens us, edifies us as we speak it out. Yes. And it builds our faith. It does. So, um, over lunch... Eat a sandwich, think about your mountains, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I know it will. Okay, okay, <laughs> yeah, it's true, Anne. So don't think about, oh, don't eat the sandwich, just think about the ma- no, eat the sandwich. And I, I think we're coming back about to two, ten past two, something like that. Let me just pray, Father, thank you for this morning, thank you that you got us through, thank you that you will take your word and use it as the balm of Gilead for our soul. Thank you, Father, that your word has is healing in its wings, Lord God. We thank you for it. And we ask now that you bless our fellowship and the food that we're going to share. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.